Welcome to the Audit Podcast, the number one podcast for the audit profession. Be sure to check the show notes for all of our social media channels and to sign up for the Audit Podcast newsletter. Now, here's your host, Trent Russell. This podcast is sponsored by Green Skies Analytics, where they do everything tech-related, but only for internal audit. Although compliance and risk management, y'all are cool too, so feel free to check it out also. To find out more, please visit greenskiesanalytics.com, but it's more likely that you're just going to Google it. So to find out more, please Google Green Skies Analytics. This podcast is also brought to you by AuditBoard, the leading cloud-based platform transforming how enterprises manage risk. AuditBoard's integrated suite of easy-to-use audit, risk, and compliance solutions streamlines internal audit, SOX compliance, risk management, and security compliance. Automate processes and improve execution with AuditBoard's purpose-built solution, which is designed to address the most pressing challenges of today's practitioners. Experience the latest in audit, risk, and compliance technology. Visit auditboard.com to schedule your product walkthrough to see AuditBoard's award-winning platform in action today. Hello, everyone. Welcome back or to the Audit Podcast. We're doing something a little bit different today slash for the rest of the month. So this thing's been going on, this podcast, for nearly three years. In those three years, we've only republished or re-released one episode. That was Norman Marks, and it was because I think it fell on like December 26th and people are just like, yeah, we're not listening to that today. It's the day after Christmas. And so to, to shine a light on it again, Norman Marks being considered one of the premier thought leaders in the audit profession, we thought, yeah, we should probably shine a little bit more of a light on that one. So that's the only one that we've done. And after our editor mentioned for like the fourth time, hey, you know, we haven't really republished episodes and that's pretty common in the podcast world. Um, I realized, all right, let's maybe do that in December and uh, do it for the month of December and maybe give our editor a little bit of a break. With that said, we decided to republish some of the most downloaded episodes from the year. Coming up here in week one, we have Melissa Galasso from Galasso Learning Solutions, and she is talking about how to conduct a risk assessment. Here we go. What is an audit tip? from maybe your trainings that you've done that you could pass along to auditors? So my biggest tip that I always tell people is know why you're doing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, I see so often that people are either just doing what was done last year or they were told to do something and they don't know why. And when you evaluate evidence, if you don't know why you're doing what you're doing, it's hard to decide if the evidence is even any good or if there's a better way to get that evidence or ask for it or, you know, ask the question of the client if you don't know, right? So if you're going out there and you're asking the person, so say you're, you're doing an interview with AP at this point and you're asking for something, but you don't know why you're asking for it. If they said, well, could I give you this instead? You're like, well, no, I was told to get this sort yeah. of like tunnel vision. So there's no improvement that ever happens because we just keep doing the same thing because we don't know why we're doing yeah. it. So is there a way to make that into a process? Like, would you, is there like within your work paper solution or calendar reminders or something? Cause it almost, that's almost like a, uh, a mindset to have that why thing. And if we don't have that, how could we like put it? It is so fundamental to auditing. And I think it is really interesting because it is a mindset thing. It's something that, you know, like, when I teach a, a new topic, even if teaching an accounting topic, I you know, like I know that there's software that's going to do leases for people. I I absolutely know that that they're going to put everything into a system and some number is going to pop out. 
But in my opinion, if you don't know why that number is being calculated that way or, or what goes into it, right, then you don't know if that number is reasonable, right? Mm-hmm. You don't know if the computer is producing what it should. And so to me, you know, I still make people handwrite <laughs> all of their amortization tables and all of their journal entries so that they can then understand what the computer is doing. And yeah. so for me, in order to remind people about the why, always at the top of every work paper, there should be a purpose. Like, what is the point of this? Like, what am I trying to do? And sometimes they see purposes like to test AR. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, no, that's not the purpose, (laughs) right? So develop really a good way, a mechanism of really updating what those purposes are so that you then remember what it is. And if you don't know, ask. A lot of times it's, you know, poor management, more poor supervision when we're not really providing any, like, you know, just look at last year's work papers and go do the same thing. Person doesn't know why they did it last year. They don't know why they're doing it this year. They just know that that's what they're expected to do. So if they're not providing that, ask for it. If you're a manager or a supervisor, provide it, right? Remind people of why we do what we do, because we do things for really important reasons. But if we don't know why we're doing them, right? There's, you know, sort of like, you know, Simon Sinek, like start with why. It's the same concept in an audit, right? You really need to know why you're doing what you're doing. If you could grab every auditor in the world by the shoulders and shake them and say, just do this one thing, what would that be? I mean, for me, the biggest thing is tailoring audit programs. Um, So often what I see is just sort of a, this is my checklist and this is what I'm going to do. And I'm not really evaluating what makes sense. We're not really linking it back to the risk assessment. We're not taking full advantage of it. So we kind of think, okay, well, whoever developed this audit program knows a lot about whatever it is I'm auditing, whether it's operational, whether it's financial, whether it's internal controls, they must be really smart. So they must know what we should do. And so I'm not going to second guess them. I'm just going to do everything on this. And when we look at it, there's no there's no reflection of really what's most important, which is the whole idea of that each audit is unique and each entity is unique and each process is unique. And so when we go in, we can say, okay, this makes sense for this organization, but what we really knew, need to do is we need to adjust this. And so, for example, if we were doing a, um, a we were doing maybe some look at inventory because we think that somebody is stealing, right? So we think that there's theft happening, right? When I would go in and look at my work paper, it likely has some type of floor to sheet, sheet to floor type of, you know, go out there and check the existence of this uh, inventory. Right. Well, when I pick that inventory, I'm going to pick it with a very bias towards the types of things I would want to look at easy to steal that, you know, they have value on the street. On the other hand, if we think that the risk is related to, again, still an existence issue related to inventory, but we think that things are being moved to different departments and not being scanned out. And so the inventory is still looking and reflecting as being available, but it's actually been moved to the next department. Well, in that scenario, when I select a sample, same thing, sheet to floor, floor to sheet, I'm going to go and I'm going to do it from a very random because each thing has an opportunity. And so when we say tailor your audit programs, it's not like rewrite the whole audit program, but it's ask yourself, what is the reason for my risk and what am I going to do about it? And how am I going to make this make sense for why I'm doing it? So kind of going back to that why, but why am I doing this? What was that risk assessment? And let's make sure that we're tailoring to what we actually need to do and don't do things that add no value, right? So let's say, okay, you know, this doesn't make sense for this particular particular organization, our, our, our organization is different. We don't operate that way, or that's not really a big risk for our organization. Like, let's just slash that out instead of just doing everything because it's there. Yeah. 
I like the the psychology piece that you mentioned around, um, hey, whoever did this last year, they're great and brilliant. And so I'm sure it's fine. Let's just move it forward. Yeah. Yeah. Same as last year has been, you know, Sally is one of the biggest issues that we have in any practice because we're afraid. We're like, well, it got through review last year. So if I start, you know, shaking it, you know, I don't know, maybe they're going to tell me I did everything wrong or that I didn't do enough. So I'm just going to keep going, even if I know this isn't the best way, because I'm afraid. I'm afraid of that feedback. I had that, um, I guess, issue early on too, of like, okay, the staff that did it last year has more experience than I did. The senior that reviewed it has more. The manager that reviewed it, the senior manager that has more. The partner certainly has more. It's probably fine. Um, and when I, so I just would basically roll it forward and I didn't challenge anything. And it wasn't until I realized, hey, there's like a whole documented methodology of what we do and why we do. And once I get that dawned on me and I found it, um, that's when I could start to, for me anyway, start to challenge it and go, you know, this is what it says we're supposed to do or we should consider. And I don't think we've done that. Or even I found there to be a lot of efficiencies gained to go. You guys know we don't have to do it this thing, right? Because we have this other thing, this other control this in place. Alternative, or, right? Or we have this better data that we yeah. can use instead of doing it the more manual way. We have this new report we can use. We can use this new method, right? Absolutely. But you also knew why you were doing it because you read your methodology. Yeah. And your methodology was saying, okay, you're mitigating this or you're doing this for this purpose. And you understood that and then you applied it. And yeah. so you said, hey, look there's a better way. Well, you know, why haven't we done it this way before? And they might come back and say, oh, years ago, that report wasn't available or that person wasn't here. Right. And we learn and we develop along with it. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I'm totally with you. Like a lot of times we're afraid. We're like, well, it got past review. I don't want to you know, rock the boat, but I'm all in on, you know, to see what can we do to improve our processes, yeah. streamline yeah. and efficiency, because effectiveness is important, but efficiency is just as important. And there's nothing, if someone would told me when I started my career, like, go look at the methodology, I'd be like, that sounds like the most boring thing ever. You want to go read the methodology? But I felt like once I, again, like I found it, I was like, oh, here's the answers to the test. Like everything is right here. And it cleared up so much confusion and like anxiety and fear of uh, not really knowing what I was doing. Um And so anyway, I think that's a a pretty decent segue into our next topic of uh, evolving changes to audit standards. And so I want you to speak about that broadly. And then I think more specifically, like how can we keep up with those changes? You know, is is there a resource we can go to, uh, et cetera? So I'll, I'll throw it back to you. So again, I work on two sides of the house, obviously on the external audit side of the house, the AICPA produces a massive amount of uh, standards on what external auditors are required to do. And they have been really going back and looking at their, you know, requirements and saying, you know, like, do we really need to make references to fax machines? No, it was still in the standards up until this year when they got rid of it. Um, but they went back and they said, really, is this what we want to be referencing? So we see a lot of embracing of technology. They issued SAS 142, which is effective this year, that's going back and saying, okay, when we say observation, does that include remote observation? Yes. When we look at something and we say, okay, well, we're going to do an analysis, can that include having a computer read the text and spit out some type of abstract? And the answer is yes. Mm-hmm. Like, And so it's finally gone in and said, when we think about some of these procedures that we've done for years and years and years, we tend to think of them as, you know, I have to do this in person or I have to physically do this, or I have to manually do it, the the standard setting process, which I think is happening for lots of standard setters, including the IIA, which is to embrace more of the technology and sort of almost permit it. Because a lot of times firms were doing it 
but they were not necessarily sort of blessed because again, it still made reference to fax machines. So (laughs) standards about fax machines, one, most of our staff have never seen a fax machine and probably never will. And I think that's okay. Um, But I think we need to embrace the technology side. I think we need to really think about that. And so the standard setters are focused on that and that's evolving. Um, I also think, you know, the AICPA has a big convergence effort so that around the world, we're doing the same thing because audits are audits. If you're doing them in France, you're doing them in the United States, we should really leverage best practices. And whether you're internal audit or external audit, we can all learn from each other on what works best and where are, you know, where these similarities lie. And so the convergence project with the IAASB for the AICPA has brought back a lot of really interesting considerations that they're doing around right now, like less complex organizations or what they're calling LCE, less complex entities. And what can we do to scale, right? So what should we do to adjust the work that we're doing for the appropriate, you know, complexity of the organization, not just size, but like true complexity of the organization what should we be doing? And that really came from the international standards. That's something that they've been driving. And now the AICPA is like, oh, we might be onto something. So SAS 145 doesn't talk about smaller entities anymore. It talks about how can you scale this from a complexity perspective? So I think the evolution there of really working together as the audit profession globally and looking at best practices and how can we learn from each other, I think is really shaping the future of the profession. And then I think the last thing is in the area of clarity, Um, because some of our standards, I'm sure you might uh, admit, are not necessarily super clear. Um, (laughs) You've you've probably read a few and you're like, what? Yeah. So, you know, like, yeah. So uh, my favorite, one of the biggest changes that's in SAS 145, in my opinion, that's a huge win that just came out um, was basically the definition of a significant risk. And the old definition is it required special audit consideration. Now, if you've ever taught a staff person, they're like, well, why does it need special audit consideration? Right. What does special mean? And that right. it never made sense. And so they just clarified that it's now at the upper end of the inherent risk spectrum. Now you're like, oh, so it's all the stuff over here. Yeah, right. those are your significant risks. A little more concrete. Yeah. Okay. It's it's usable. It's practical. I think that they've gone through with more of a, a technical eye to it and kind of said, okay, does this make sense? Is this really something that we can do? Is it practical? Is it something that is, you know, intuitive to somebody who, again, the people who are doing this are not the partners. They're not the chief audit executive, right? The people are doing it are staff. And if it's not intuitive, it's not practical, right? Then it doesn't get done properly. And we really need to make the language of audit easier for people to understand and use terminology that makes sense. And I think a lot of that is happening right now, which leads to, though, I think somewhat of a pace of change issue, right? It feels like every year you're working on something and every year you're having to make changes to what you do and you never kind of settle. And so the downside to all of this advancement is sort of this, you know, constant change. And we're not the most, um, you know, forward thinking change profession. Sometimes we would just like a little bit of a break. And I think we might wear people out. Perfect. And then so what, how can we keep up with these changes? Was there a resource? Is there an email list or? 
Yeah, there's lots of great ones. Um, the AICPA does put out really nice reminders. Uh, so for AICPA changes, I'm a big fan also of using some of the um, providers, whether it's like a Thomson Reuters or whether you're using, um, you know, the checkpoint tools, right? We have lots of different things, like accounting research manager. Um, and one of the things I do every month is I actually just run a list. They have a tool that you can actually export and it just says, this is all the stuff that got issued. And I look at say relevant, not relevant, relevant, interesting, yeah. not effective for a long time <laughs> and kind of go through and make that determination. Um, but I think third parties have really tried to help out because otherwise you're overwhelmed. Do you really want an email every right. time something changes? But the accounting standard setters do it. They provide, you know, if you want to, you can sign up for even their proposals if you mm -hmm. really wanted to. Yeah. Um, but I think the better way to do it is kind of get a summary and then pick and choose where you want to put your focus. Uh, and you talked about the clarity that's going into the standards and trying to make it more clear. I don't know, in reading your book, um, you also open with something similar in that I want to make this easy to understand, easy to consume, uh, try to get away from these technical financial definitions and things like that. So um, one, I wanted you to kind of uh, speak to your book a little bit. And then the question I have relative to that for the you know our audience, mostly internal auditors, but auditors um, external as well, is how can your book help an auditor? Like, why should I, as an auditor that's not on a board, read your book? All right. Well, I'll tell you a little about it. Um, it's Money Matters for Nonprofits. And it really was written with the concept that it is overwhelming for many board members to come in. Um, they're usually very passionate about their organization, right? They're, they want the mission to succeed and they typically can have other skill sets, right? They can be phenomenal at development, uh, you know, business development or fundraising or marketing or their lawyers, right? So they have these great backgrounds that are super assets to the organization, right? We need a diverse board, right? If everybody on the board was an accountant, you would not achieve your mission because you're missing all the other things that are really important. So we need a diverse set of um, personalities. You need a diverse set of skill sets on the board. Um, but everybody on the board has a responsibility for due diligence. They have a responsibility for certain duties of care and understanding, and everybody votes to approve the financial statements. And what I found was when I talked to a lot of the clients that I serve, they would say, hey, we presented the financial statements or we presented our audit report or we presented the outcome of our research or our investigation and the board just kind of stared at me. Yeah. Um, they didn't really understand what it was. They were really just hoping that it would be over soon and that they would then vote to say yes. They're yeah. like, okay, yeah. do you approve the financials? Yes. If you right. will stop talking, I will approve them. Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it's not intuitive. And again, so to me, that's always like, can we take something and make it really user-friendly? And so the purpose of the book was to introduce the financial statements in without debits and credits and without all the intricacies. What do you need to know as a board member walking through what are the financial statements? What are the elements of the financial statements? What are the different types of audits that you can have? And then ultimately, what conversation should you be having with the board to the management and the board to the auditor, external auditor, internal auditor about what the process is? And again, just more of a, a basic understanding, 300 pages worth, but lots of pictures and lots of examples and lots of stories because I'm a big storyteller. I believe people remember stories more than they remember requirements or facts, right? You can remember a story, you can understand 
why we're doing what we're doing. And so stories are one of the best ways. Uh, before we taught people to read and write, right, we passed uh, history down through stories. And it's one of the best ways for people to remember things. And so I'm a big fan of that. And so for a lot of auditors, one of the obviously best practices there is to understand, well, what are the differences between obviously what we do in a typical commercial entity? And then what are you seeing in a nonprofit world? Because we don't have equity we have other issues that are out there like conditions that someone can attach that impact the recognition of revenue. Mm -hmm. um, and they're they're different. Uh, and so I think that is a key requirement is that if you um, are working with nonprofits or you want to um, help them achieve, obviously knowing the differences there. Um, but also, you know, for a lot of my clients, they have actually bought it as gifts for their uh, their clients as an opportunity to say, hey, this resource does help. And, uh, you know, this is a way uh, to do it. And I've been so impressed with the number of people who have come back and said, you know, it makes a lot more sense. Uh, and this is doable. It's not overwhelming. It can reduce the, the pressure because our goal is obviously really strong governance. We know that when you have really strong governance, you have less fraud, right? We know that when you go in and you are um, doing your due diligence, you're asking the right questions, you're evaluating the organization, you're prepared for where you're heading and you can make better decisions. And so the audit group obviously has got a big element of that, which is we want you to ask the right questions and we want you to have the involvement. But if the board's afraid to ask a question because this is not their area of expertise, then we have a problem and you don't have the two-way communication that we really need in the audit to be successful. Yeah, that's great. Uh, I'm a big fan of the book. I usually go to Investopedia if there's some kind of financial thing you need to like understand a little bit better. And uh, I know you have kind of like a glossary of sorts with the first, I think it's the first chapter if I'm recalling. Um, and I was reading through it and I was like, all right, this is my new Investopedia. <laughs> I'm just going to come <laughs> to the book from now on. Um, I so know. They're not the actual definitions. They yeah. are the layman's definitions because so, the definition of asset is not intuitive. Yeah. Um, it, it's great. But if you are going to try to apply that with a non-accounting brain, it doesn't work. So you yeah. have to change yeah. it to be something that actually is applicable. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things where, OK, you go on Investopedia and it has the definition and then you have four more tabs open because you're like, well, it, within that definition, I'm not familiar with that term, that term or that term. <laughs> so I'm going to figure out what that means, which leads you down this whole rabbit hole. So. Um, yeah, it is a, it's a really good resource. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I hope it helps a lot of boards. I hope it helps a lot of entities achieve their, their goals and their mission. Yeah. I, I appreciate it very much. It's, uh, like my go-to resource now when it comes to, uh, chairing a, a finance and audit committee. So personally, thank you very much for the help that you didn't know that you were giving me. <laughs> I am happy to help and I'm, you know, excited to see where it goes. I know you do a lot of public speaking and training, and one of the things that you speak, I would say, maybe most passionately about or love to speak about is risk assessments. And so uh, it's really surprisingly not a topic that we've talked about in detail on the show very much. So how should we be conducting our risk assessments? I think that's a great question because risk assessment really, you know, I was actually talking to a client the other day about this, right? Risk assessment applies regardless of the type of work that we're doing. So if we're doing a, um, you know, a financial oriented uh, audit, or if we're doing a um, compliance oriented, or we're looking at efficiency and effective operations, right? Risk assessment is still the core of what we go and do going forward. And so often we are so reliant on, well, we have these procedures. So if we can just go and do all the procedures, it must cover all the risk. Yeah. And 
it's a really bad habit to get into. People kind of see risk assessment as a must. Um, you know, it's like a necessary evil. I have to fill out these forms because I need to be compliant, but I'm not going to actually use them for anything. And for me, risk assessment is like the time, you know, if you fail to plan, you plan to fail. I feel like very much about the risk assessment. Like if you take the time to really understand the risk and then you go through and then you're responsive to the risk and you go back to tailoring your audit program, you're not simply doing what's on the audit program, you're tailoring it back to why you have to do what you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, and so often when I see risk assessment, because I've observed a lot of risk assessments over the years, I see whoever the chief audit executive is, they walk in and they go, okay, let's do risk assessment. And so we're going to do, so let's do a financial accounting one. So they're going to be doing a financial audit. And so they come in, they go, okay, cash, uh, existence, low, this low, that low, high, low, high, Okay, moving on to the next one. Okay, this is low, high, low. And then they're like, okay, anyone disagree? And who in their right mind is gonna be like, oh yeah, you're you're wrong. Right, you know, right. slowly staff auditor is gonna be like, well, if that's what they said, I, it must, it must be true. No one's second guessing them. And what I find is that doesn't bring any novelty, that doesn't bring any new ideas. Uh, and a lot of the kids who are coming out of classes uh, these days, they're getting a lot of practical experience in school. They are using more technology. They're, you know, the new CPA exam in 2024, core portion of it is on technology. They have these ideas and they have this really nice idea about what they could bring to the table, but we don't ask them to participate. We kind of just tell them what the risk is. And I always teach when I teach risk assessment is that the first person who should speak in a risk assessment is the lowest level staffer. Um, now, they might say something totally not applicable. <laughs> they might say something totally wrong. They also might give you this most aha moment that you would never have thought of if you didn't give them that opportunity because they're not tied to last year. They're not tied to what we've always done or how we've always done it because they're coming in fresh and with a new perspective. And I don't think we leverage our staff enough. We kind of just assume that they're there to, to be the working bees and we don't take their consideration in. But I always say, start with your youngest, newest staff and then work your way up. And then the whoever's in charge sits back and says, okay, based on all of this, let's kind of summarize. I agree on this. I think we can do this. And we're also meeting that why element. People now understand, okay, why is this high or why is this low or why is this maximum, whatever verbiage, again, methodology, the verbiage you use is unique to the organization. And so whatever verbiage that they're using, people have had a conversation about the actual risk. Well, I thought about this and this could impact that. Yeah, yeah. Now they have this reason of what they're doing. So they go out there empowered to do a great job in the audit. And then what, what role as a data person, I'm interested, what role does data play in the risk assessment process? And should it, based on what you see, should do you say um, you should in, include more data as part of your as part of your risk assessment process, or are you in the camp of no data is dumb? intuition, let's just look at it and figure it out. <laughs> what, what's I think that you have to have both, but I think data is more critical now than ever because the volume of transactions, right? So we used to be able to audit everything, right? And so sampling was actually a new idea at the time, right? So when we introduced the theory of sampling, people are like, you can't sample and do an audit. And today people are like, well, you couldn't audit everything. Yeah. Well, you can, if you can access the data, right? So when we look at automated tools and techniques, a lot of people try to use them only in in their response, right? And what we sometimes refer to as further audit procedures. And they're like, okay, well, I'll use the GL information or I'll use the sales information or I'll use this information yeah. to test 
what's right. But actually, you know, there's so many great tools out there. There's a lot of new competitors in the risk assessment market who are out there saying, no, let's look at it from what's an anomaly. Where are we getting trends that we couldn't see by the human eye that they can break it down into such minute detail and be like, look, like this is something that we wouldn't have seen if we hadn't leveraged the computer and we hadn't leveraged the data. And the problem is there's so much data, you really need someone who can take that data, analyze it, and then turn it into information because data in and of itself is just overwhelming. So how can we take that data, get the anomalies, get the information, and then convert it into something that can then be used going forward? Yeah. All right. This is the, I was talking to someone earlier, another audit analytics friend of mine, and um, we're talking machine learning. And he was like, yeah, yeah. The To summarize the call, anytime I'd ask a question or, you know, hey, do you have any questions? His reply was, so, show me something else. It's cool. Um, and so we just like showed them a bunch of cool stuff. And a lot, a lot of it is um, finding anomalies. And there's some really advanced ways to do that and some pretty simple ways to do that also. Um, and the the benefit of that, if nothing else, is of finding an anomaly is because we're, we were talking about this one specific anomaly. And he goes, yeah, I always see that. I don't really care about that anymore. Uh, let's just look at something else, you know, that's cooler than that. And I told him like, yeah, I get that. But if you take that anomaly and you go back to management and go, we found this anomaly, even if it's nothing, you're like, oh, yeah, we under, we know about that. It's because of X, Y, Z. We're comfortable with it. You guys good? Yeah, we're all good. Um, it starts to build oddly enough, this like level of trust with management of like, okay, they're actually doing like valuable work in, especially if they don't know about that anomaly and you go, Hey, we found this anomaly. They go, well, we got to go look into that. And then they come back and go, well, here's the business reason for it. It makes sense. We're fine with it. If you can get that, which is pretty easy to do on almost every single audit, especially if there's numerical or transactional data. Um, it just starts to build this like level of trust and this like relationship. And this is where I'm getting on my soapbox some more. Um, because there's also value to that though. Yeah. And I think there's also value on the other side of trust, which is, wow, they can do that. If I was trying to do something that was a little bit more nefarious, I now recognize that this can be caught a lot more easily because look yeah. at what they were able to find. So if I was thinking of ways to maybe commit fraud, or maybe I was looking for a quick fix to a problem that we were having from a logistical perspective, I'm like, well, I'm going to think twice now yeah. because they're able to catch those anomalies. So I need to now. So I think it also holds people accountable because they're like, oh, well, you know, they can catch this anomaly and yeah, okay. They only caught this one, but they can do that. Oh, I need to be really careful or, or my people need to understand that, you know, this is going to get caught. Yeah, uh, and yeah. I think sometimes people don't recognize the amount of detail that you can actually get into. Um, and like I saw an example of a great use of data analytics. They saw that the IT person posted a journal entry. Um, IT people don't post journal entries. So we were like, what's going on here? And it ended up being that it was a required journal entry and nobody above the person was available to post it, right? So it was a park and post scenario. The person prepared it and they went around and like the CFO wasn't available, the CEO wasn't available, the director of accounting wasn't available. Like no one was out there, but they needed this for whatever purpose done. And so the IT guy's like, oh, I can do it. So there was a valid explanation for it. But after that, they're like, wow, you were able to spot that yeah. the IT and like, yeah, we can, that's not normal. Like we can, we can tell you about that. Now I've just shown like, oh, well, I need to be dotting my I's and crossing my T's. Yeah. And there's, unfortunately, there's not really a way to measure it, but it, that's what I call um, like socialized fraud mitigation 
yes. is when the organization knows like, hey, audit doesn't just come in and like check the box anymore. Like they have continuous, not real time, but continuous monitoring of what's going on. And it, it starts to like the word almost starts to spread amongst mm -hmm. the organization, especially if you're like in that one given area. Mm -hmm. um, and to where, to the point where if there was fraud going on and they're like, oh, audit has this, you know, they're, they're using the data, they're identifying these anomalies, um, potentially finding fraud. If you're the fraudster committing it, you're going to probably be like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that anymore, which then starts to become an anomaly in your, what you're doing, that person that was committing the fraud, who's no longer doing it. Now it's going to stand out. And then we can come back in and question and be like, well, why, did, why is this? change now all of a sudden um and then you can take a deeper dive into it so yeah a lot of benefits another thing we talked about was you and i was like there's just so much to do uh there's so many uh risks and there's so many evolving technologies to consider and, and even just the risks there um and of course everyone has uh finite resources so how can we like prioritize those is it is it solely just okay risk assessment risk assessment risk assessment that's where we always come back to or like what are your thoughts on how we can best prioritize um almost even our day-to-day -day? yeah i absolutely agree and you know i think risk assessment is really important but when i think about risk assessment i think about the coso uh, methodology right and so in 2013 when they started laying out the principles within each of the different sections right one of the first steps in risk assessment isn't risk assessment it's actually identifying your objectives yeah. right and so how do i prioritize well i go back to what are my objectives what are my priorities? Okay. And then what are the risks related to those priorities, right? So the risk assessment doesn't start with going identify risk. It's asking yourself, well, what are my objectives? What am I trying to achieve? What is the key focus right now? Because we can have a hundred objectives, but what is the priority right now? And then use that information to then inform the risk assessment. So then we know what we're going to do because you can be putting out fires forever. Yeah, um, yeah. So what is it that's most important to the organization? What are we been tasked with as our priority? And that's usually coming from our key objectives. So going back to what is it that is our primary objective right now, then leveraging the risk assessment. And I think that's really how COSO reimagined how we think about internal controls. It's, it should be how we think about everything, which is starting with the, what am I supposed to be doing? Why am I supposed to be doing this? And those objectives are really there to help then take it to the next level. So prioritization doesn't come, you know, each person then says, okay, well, how do I fit into this objective? How do I fit into this? Where are the things that I need to focus on? Right. Uh, I've got one more question for you before I kind of give you the stage. Um, but and it, based on your experience, your lifelong experience, um, and for those, again, that haven't read the book, just read like even just the intro. I know a lot of people skip the intros of books. I always like to read the intros of books, but like your background is fascinating uh, and you're very brilliant. Um, and so I was curious, though, what question should the audit committee chair be asking audit leadership? I think there's two things that the audit committee chair should always be kind of coming back to at the end of the day. And the first ones were, were there any hiccups? Were there any disagreements? Right. I need to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. So I need to know how this audit went. I need to know, even if it's not a, an audit, maybe it's just a research project or it's a, a project or a sub focus that the, the group is working on, or maybe it's an investigation, right? How did it go? 
How was the interaction with management? Were there any hiccups? Were there any disagreements? Um, because otherwise, how do we ensure that oversight capacity, right, for management? And how do we go through this? So we really need to start understanding what are the processes that are happening? Are these relationships working? Um, is this being treated with the respect that it needs to be? And that's always the first side of it. But then the second thing that I always like to recommend is the relationship on benchmarking. And I don't think that this gets enough attention, right? So to me, um, when we think about benchmarking, we need to say, well, how are we doing compared to others in our industry? How are we doing compared to things that you have seen in your experiences? Are there any places where we could improve, right? Are there spots where our internal controls aren't doing as well? Um, is there a better way to do this process, right? So a lot of efficiency type of questions that come out. And what I love about auditors is whether you're internal or external, you know all about the organization. You know the operations, you know the business, you know the financials, you know the interaction, you know the people. And by the time you do this enough, you really have a good understanding of what are the best practices. And so often, maybe the auditor doesn't want to come in and say, hey, you could totally do this 100 times better because that wasn't really the point of the audit, right? The yeah. point of the audit was, is this correct? And you're like, well, yeah, it's correct, but it could have been done in half yeah. the time. Um, but if you engage in that and you ask, right, I want that information, I need that feedback, come tell me what we could do better. What do you see as opportunities for us? I don't think we leverage the audit knowledge that's out there. There's so much knowledge about the organization, about the industry, about best practices that people don't ask about. And I don't find sometimes auditors are afraid to give that feedback if it's not asked for. Um, and so the second thing I always recommend that they reach out is really just come out and say, hey, you know, how could we do better? Where are our opportunities? How are we doing comparatively? And let us know so that we can act on it and we can always move the needle forward. Perfect. And the reason I asked that question is so that they, that's not really a question that I'm, I'm hoping audit committees hear and they go, oh, yeah, we should be asking those. I asked that question because I want the CAEs that listen and the other auditors that listen to go, oh, we should consider giving that to <laughs> the audit committee or at least asking them, um, you know, do you want this? And, you know, like, what do you need? And so just trying to help people along because, you know, especially if I tie it back to your book, that's a resource I wish I had three years ago when I was uh, started on the board. And there's really not, I forget who I was talking about this with the other day. If you Google like CEO books, COO books, CISO books, um, chief data officer books, which is a role, chief data officers, a role just popped up in the past like three years. Somehow there's already a bunch of books about it. If you Google chief audit executive books, it's like nothing. I mean, there's no really like, I don't know, I don't want to say thought leadership. There's no like guidelines or, or anything like that. So what I'm trying to do is uh, for folks that I feel like could give solid um, advice based on their real world experiences, I'm trying to get more of that out to the listeners. And so that's really where that, that question was coming from. So thank you very much for that. Awesome. All right, Melissa, we covered a lot of like different uh, disconnected topics almost. And so there's, there's a, a lot that we covered. Um, so I did want to give you this chance to, uh, like give you the stage and leave the audience with whatever it is that you would like to. 
I think for me, just the importance of the role of the auditor. I think at the end of the day, the auditor has such value. And sometimes people feel like it's sort of that necessary, like I've checked the box or it's a compliance. I have a an internal audit department because it's mandated by the SEC or I have a, uh, an audit department because it's a best practice or I get an external audit because my bank makes me. Um, and it's not seen as something that adds value. But if we do our responsibility and we come in and we provide the overall understanding of the organization and we provide great feedback and we really show our knowledge of the organization and the industry, we add so much value beyond just, you know, obviously checking the compliance box and really embrace that um, and realize the importance of the role. Because I think, you know, there is actually a National Auditors Week for celebrating CPA proud um, and being, you know, uh, auditor proud. And I think we need more of that. We need to really appreciate what the role of the auditor is, because I think, you know, I love working every day where audit firms, it brings me great joy to know that they go out there and they do a great job and they protect the public, they help the market, right? They're super important. And I don't think always that they get what they need because there's all these flashy things that are out there that people do, right? You don't go into a kindergarten class and say, well, I'm an auditor. They, you know, they don't, they want to see the veterinarian. They want to see the firefighter, but no one says, oh, I want to go meet the auditor. But it's a critical part of what makes the world go around. And we should really embrace that and be proud of all the work that's done because without it, I think we would really, you know, it's one of those things like in the worst case scenario that were to go away, we would see the huge impact of that. So just really embrace audit and and recognize the importance of it and go out there and do a great job. Hey everyone, thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Audit Podcast. Whatever platform you're listening on right now, I'm sure there's a subscribe button somewhere, so please hit the subscribe button there. If you're listening through iTunes or Spotify, feel free to go give us that five-star rating. It only took me about 16 seconds to give myself a five-star review, and it really helps to get future guests to come on the show, so we'd really appreciate that. Lastly, be sure to check out the show notes and follow us on all our social media channels on Instagram, on LinkedIn, and on TikTok. Also, if interested, please sign up for our weekly newsletter from the Audit Podcast. Thank you all. Have a great one.